0: To the black hole. You're listening to the Launchcast, your favorite podcast on the planet, brought to you by Launchpad Five One Six Studios with me, your host George Andriopoulos. We're talking leadership, business, life, and growth right now as the countdown starts.
1: It's like food for your ears. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence.
0: Launch sequence activated.
1: Launch sequence activated.
0: Five, four, three, two, one. Woo! Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the LaunchCast. Season four, episode 405 today, it's called Inclusion at Work Has a Lot of Potentia. You're gonna find out why in a minute. I I am so happy to be continuing season four with you guys. We've been doing some deep dive leadership interviews and today is gonna be no different. But first, it's the Launch Dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. Leadership, business, life, growth, right now, as the beat drops. What is happening, my friends? George Andriopoulos back for another week with you on the LaunchCast, and it has been a big, big week. Today is the day after Election Day, so hopefully you people have... Gone out there, gotten your vote on, stood up for your communities, been leaders, and and voiced your opinions, no matter what way you voiced them, as long as you voiced them, it is super important. Um, a lot of stuff going out there today. We're <laughs> going on out there today. We've, uh, you know, the day after an election is always um, it's it's a it's a weird weird time, right? Because uh, a lot of the rhetoric that goes on for weeks and weeks and months uh, all sort of comes to a head. And, and then here we are, right? With with whatever the outcome was by you um, is the outcome. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 we've talked about this as leaders on this show before. We, we talk a lot about leadership and how to stand up in your communities and, um, and what that means. And uh, I hope for a lot of you that no matter what the outcomes were, yesterday um, in in your own communities that uh, you know you're you're either uh, emboldened to to stand up and keep standing up for your community keep doing what what's important to you and and advocating for your people um, and if things didn't go your way you know figure out the right methods the 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 proper methods to stand up and and get out there and make a change in your own way uh, we've talked about here in in my community here on Long Island that um, you know, there have been um, there have been moments in these last couple of years that have been pretty crazy. Um, communities kind of going wild and and huge divides here, and that happens right here in my own community uh, in Farmingdale, New York. And uh, it's it's been tough for us here in our community. It's been really really tough, and I I look forward to the days that we can come back together as a community and work on our differences um, together. And it's not going to happen unless we are willing to. Stand up and lead in an empathetic way and in, in a way that we can listen to each other and, and create that change together. So that's that's the only thing I, I wanted to put out there and, and say today uh, before we move on to our guest. So uh, let me do that now, because that's why you guys are here. So today, my guest, Jeff. Miller, let me bring up his bio here. Jeff Miller is the CEO and founder of Potentia Workforce, a consulting firm that delivers technology, analytics, and human capital services by leveraging the talents of and providing opportunities to skilled yet often overlooked neurodiverse. Individuals. Jeff is an executive with more than 25 years experience leading high-performance organizations that provide innovative solutions to the communities that they serve. He has launched and led businesses in the 20 largest markets in North America and across four continents. After his son was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, Jeff began a deep exploration into neurodiversity, which ultimately led to the formation of Potentia, combining multiple passions to bring innovation to business internationally and opportunities to the remarkable and often underemployed neurodiverse community. A graduate of Williams College, Jeff lives in Houston, in the Houston area with his wife, Samantha, and awesomely cool teenage son, Charlie. So let us bring Jeff on the screen and unmute him. Hello, my friend. How are you?
1: George, how are you?
0: Good, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super pumped to have you on here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I really liked your intro as well. We, we were all watching the political returns last night um, and, and I, I couldn't have said it better. Really yeah. appreciated your, your intro there.
0: I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. So let's, let's dive in today. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to have you. Uh, we were introduced by my good friend, uh, Dave Thompson. Dave and I have worked together, um, in many capacities before, uh, incredible dude. And, um, of course, anybody that Dave tells me is, is another incredible person that's on a mission to do good things. I'm with it, man. So I'm, I'm so happy to have you on here today. And I'm glad that we, you know, we're getting to know each other and, uh, um, and, and making some change out there together, even if it's just with this conversation today.
1: Likewise, likewise. Yeah,
0: so let's start where we always start with these interviews, Jeff, are you a leader? Yes, I am. Yeah, so talk to me about that. What is your definition of leadership?
1: I, I think uh, it, it isn't about title. To me, it's I, I'm a big fan of the, of the, it's almost become cliche, right? But the whole idea of servant leadership leaders leaders have an opportunity to serve uh, people that they care about and people that they want to see succeed and I've, I've, I've tried to be that throughout my career but I think for me uh, as you as you alluded to the last three or four years I really w- was blessed to find um, my life's work if, if I could call it that and, and 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 that's all about serving so to me uh, uh, you know, serving others is really the the purest definition of leadership regardless of of what your type is.
0: Yeah. So, so I, I love that definition, Jeff. Um, we're, we're going to dive deeper into, into what you do now, especially with Potentia, but talk to me about, um, and we're going to do a chronological dive here in, in a minute, but talk to me about leadership back then before what it has become for you now, obviously, um, you know, uh, uh, with, with your son, Charlie, um, being neurodiverse and, um, uh, and finding this community that you now advocate for and you do so much work for what did servant leadership look like for you before all that at the beginning of your career?
1: Um, uh, I, I, I would say, um, it was, uh, a, a, a noble effort. Um, it was, it was, um, sometimes effective. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, and, and some people might be surprised by that. So I started my career out of out of college and, and just networked my way into a role in IT recruiting right out of school um, uh, outside of Boston where, where I'm from. And uh, didn't know anything about either IT or recruiting, but had some people who took pity on me and taught me the business. And um, I was able to to um, have some success there. I was with a company that was fast growing. and And so I was able to be sort of caught up in that a little bit. They sent me out to the West Coast at 24. I, I still remember being in the CEO's office and and you know he's got the push pin map of, of the US and he's saying, uh, I don't know why I'm there. I'm thinking I might be in trouble for something. And, and he says, uh, you know, look, we're a little light over on the left side there, don't you think? Um, and I said, yeah, 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 I, I, sure. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know. Right. And he said, what do you think about going out there and starting up some offices for us? And I was 24 and, and you could have knocked me over with a feather. I had no idea. <laughs> um, so I got thrust into a, a, a management role, I will say, um, uh, you know, pretty, pretty early on. But the leadership took time. Um, and probably the biggest thing that, that I realized about um, the difference between management and leadership for me was I needed to, uh, I, I needed, I. I I thought when I started, I thought that leadership was about being perfect. And, and I realized it's actually the opposite of that. Right. Your, your, your folks can't relate to you if you're not real. Yeah. And so it took me years to really figure out that it was OK to show your, your cracks and show your struggles and show your areas where you, you know, aren't, aren't uh, don't. Uh, that's, that's not something that you're, you're great at, let, let's say. And uh, so for me, it was it was really all about that idea of of uh, a little bit of vulnerability, but just being real with the people that you work with, and, and, and letting let them know, look, look, I don't have all the answers. Um, let's figure it out together. And I think as I started to figure that out, I, I grew up in a very sort of buttoned-down New England, um, you know, kind of background, you know, raised uh, uh, raised primarily by my dad. My dad was was I was the he was the youngest in his family. I, I was the youngest of of three. My brothers are almost a half generation older than I am. So my dad was a little bit older than the other dads, and he was a, a I mean you could set your watch by him. He was he was a guy who 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 always showed up. I, I could count on him. But if I wanted to have a conversation about str- anywhere where I was struggling, he was not as comfortable in that. I think a lot of people from that generation yeah. were late. Right. So I, 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 without it being said, I was sort of taught as, as a youngster that, you know, you don't show any of that stuff. You don't show any of the areas where you're where you're struggling or, or, or where you're not as, as, good, as great as you want to be or as good as you want to be. Um, and so it took me a while. To, and my dad was a fantastic role model for me in a lot of ways, a lot of turbulence and challenges in the family growing up. And he was the he was the one you could set your watch by in terms of just showing up. And I really learned that from him. I I learned about showing that vulnerability later on as I as I as I kind of went through life and learned um, sometimes by doing the wrong things. And, you know, why am I not connecting with my people? Why am I not? Well, because you're trying to be perfect, Jeff. and Nobody's perfect. Right know. And I had mentors that kind of took me under their wing and and, and showed me that, uh, uh, you know, you you, got to be real with people, especially today. People expect that of their leaders. They expect you to. right to, 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 to not only meet them where they are but to be honest about where you are
0: yeah yeah and and uh, I, I love that answer for so many reasons the reason I asked you the question about before versus now in terms of the you know the genesis of your leadership is because it's kind of one of the goals of the show right so so our demographic is is interesting so we have a ton of business owners that listen to this show you know we we've we've um, Uh, placed in the top 60 on Apple Podcast Entrepreneurship charts multiple times, top 50, I think we broke once. Um, But we also have a large contingency that are aspiring entrepreneurs, aspiring leaders, right? And so the goal of the show is to kind of show these unconventional journeys to leadership. And, you know, I'm I'm of the same ilk where multiple times in my life there have been moments where I was – inspired or put in a situation where something now mattered that never mattered before that was never even on my radar and so yeah and my my journey was a little bit different I fumbled a lot more through leadership in when I was younger because I just didn't get it um and then you know becoming a father changed me and and a moment that I had which I've talked about uh for many years where I got into the nonprofit world for the f- first time and co-founded a non-profit for a, a girl who now would have been my sister-in-law, was diagnosed with cancer and, and sort of changed my whole trajectory and led me on a path to being the servant leader that I always should have been. And so for our audience that doesn't get that yet, that hasn't hit that moment yet, these interviews are really about understanding that it's okay that you haven't hit that moment yet because that thing may have not hit you yet. You may have not experienced that thing yet that is going to inspire you to get to that next moment. So I appreciate that that answer, Jeff, very much. Um, talk to me a little bit more about uh, uh, what life was like growing up for you. I know you, you grew up in New England, um, primarily raised by your dad. What what was the trajectory for you in terms of the, the plan? You know, coming out of high school and, and going to college.
1: So, so the the growing up, um, I would say the, um, a couple of things. The 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 thing that 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 strikes me as I think back on it is, again, my dad was that drumbeat and he was that steady uh, that steady force for me that really was. I can't words can't express how, how important that was to me to have that as a, as a youngster. Um, without getting into too much detail on it, we had a lot of instability in the house. My my mom um, had some mental health issues that made her um, you know not the consistent mother that she wanted to be. She actually needed to uh, check herself in to a to a, a facility at different times. So I you know I I'd, I'd go to the babysitters and I'd actually get a call you know from from my dad and I, I i you know to go to the school office and he'd let me know hey you know mom's not feeling great that was sort of our euphemism you know in boston for yeah. for what was going on which was a lot more serious than that um so you're going to go to the babysitters today and i might have been at the babysitters for 3 months until my mom my mom came back wow so there was a lot of instability there um and the thing that that was my refuge was sports uh, so, uh, you know, for me, it was just that idea of competing, that idea of, of of just you know throwing yourself into something that took you out of your your day to day challenges and struggles and concerns. And so, I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily play them well, but I played five varsity sports in high school, just to give you an idea. I was signing up for everything they let me sign up for. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was a lot of it for me. Um, you know, going to college, I, I needed to pick a sport. I'm six foot seven, so basketball seemed to be a, a, probably a smart one, and I loved the sport. So I ended up playing four years of college basketball at, at, at Williams up in Massachusetts, and had a wonderful time there. Um, and so, for a, a lot of it for me was was was, um, you know, that was my passion. That was what I did. Um, you know, when I looked at and Williams had a great academic background, but I was like, who's the basketball coach? Well, know, yeah, I was yeah. really focused on the sports side and, and, and luckily they, they, um, you know, they took pity on me again. There's another, <laughs> you know, pity party. Um, I'm, I'm six, seven and I, I could occasionally hit a jump shot. So <laughs> otherwise I would not have gotten into Williams. I didn't, I, I had good grades, but I didn't have the kind of elite grades that, that get you in there. So it was really a blessing to be able to go to a place like that. A uh, little smaller school, played for four years. Um, you know, um, I was selected captain my senior year, which meant a, a lot to me. Um, and c- so, coming out of school, I really had no idea w- what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I'd very much sort of been in that sort of station to station mode. Okay, here's where I am now. Um, I wasn't thinking three steps ahead, um, which I think good leaders do. I was I wasn't at that point yet. I was. I need to get a job. I need to start to pay off, you know, uh, some of my debts and, and you know, start, start a career of doing something. Sure. Uh, and it was just through my network of friends and colleagues and actually, actually uh, 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 that I learned a little bit about the staffing industry. I ended up cold calling my way into, a, into an interview my senior year. Uh, uh, it, it's a funny story. My dad, um, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I never had a car or anything like that. Um, and I worked every spring break, every, every off break I had. And Williams is a pretty affluent school. So there were people going, you know, what are you doing for spring break? Oh, I'm going to Switzerland to do some skiing. Oh, okay. I'm going to be roofing and what's, you know, got it. Have fun. I'll see, I'll see you when you get back. Um, and so, yeah, that was our thing. My, 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 uh, college cohort was of a similar, you know, all kind of middle-class backgrounds. I might've been, you know, uh, you know maybe a, a little bit you know lower than some but we were all kind of in that same in that same bucket and we got the idea that we wanted to go to spring break and nobody had a car so i called my dad and 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 said hey i w- i don't want to work this this my senior year spring break i don't i don't want to go to to uh um uh, I, I don't want to work this time i want to i want to actually have fun with my friends but nobody has a car can i borrow one of yours and take it to florida with my buddies and shockingly, he said yes. Wow! But he said, and this gives you a little, in, you know, insight into my dad. He said, um, "But uh, I, I, I'll let you borrow the car on one condition that you set up three interviews before you leave. Three job interviews for when you graduate, okay. right? In the senior year of spring, right? And so, sure, you know, next morning I'm at career counseling, and I'm suddenly very motivated to find a job and 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 that was one of those interviews ended up being the company that I was with for for 11 years. Um so uh, you know it's it, it's funny how things work out and and, and you know uh, how 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 um, formative a role your parents play with you you know my 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 mom with the struggles that she had trying to support her my dad really leaning on him um as that as that rock for me sure. and then um and then finding sports and, and, and I think, uh, you know, starting to find my way into some more leadership roles through sports. That was, that was, that was a big part of it.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you real quick about that whole, um, uh, captaining your senior year thing. Uh, cause I, I always find the, the relationship between sports and leadership. So interesting in terms of, um, the jumpstart that you get on how you can apply that later. I, I remember playing sports myself, uh, uh, in school and not necessarily understanding that those skills can transcend, right? Um, on the field, yes, absolutely. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to lead your teammates, talk to them, whatever you're doing, or in the locker room, of course. But it was funny when you, it's funny when you're younger, sometimes you walk out of that locker room and you you kind of forget that like, oh, all the stuff that I just did, if I apply that in real life, that's going to give me a head start. What was that like for you? Oh, I,
1: I, th- I it was tremendous. I, I learned a ton from it. You know, I, I had great coaches and good coaches and, and a few that I, I think you know, maybe maybe weren't the best. Right. Sure. Like, like we all had that experience. So I learned from from watching those folks. Uh, and and you, you also learn how to just persevere through adversity. Right. A lot of the, the, the entrepreneurial um, journey is is about belief and persistence. And, and I, I don't know what teaches you better than, than sports about, like, like look, we, we got to believe in the mission. We got to work our tails off to, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, but there are going to be bumps in the road, there are going to be potholes, there are going to be things that happen. And, you know, how did we lose to that team? And, 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 and what do you do to recover from that? So I, I felt like uh, sports was an incredible training ground for me for, for later in life, for sure.
0: Um, in college, what was just curious before we move on with your career, what was your actual major in college?
1: Psychology.
0: Psychology major. Psychology.
1: Yeah. I started out as an econ major actually, ah. and, and it was too tough. I, I, I was not meant to be an econ major. So, so I switched, um, I hadn't committed yet, but I was going down the road to be an econ major. And then my sophomore year, I switched to psychology because I really liked the professors. And also if I'm honest, it was a little bit easier and gave me a little more time to work on the jump shot. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it ended up being psychology, and, and which has served me well. I think, I think over, over the years,
0: I was going to say, I I know that there, uh, uh, that plays a large role. I, I own a consulting company um, and we do all types of all. Uh, we've moved on from the, the term management consulting to consulting. Plus that's a term we, we, uh, we work on now and, and I deal with, whether it's operations, strategy, marketing, whatever the case is, but you're dealing with primarily on these consults, we're dealing with uh, you know C-suite executives. And then in order to get to the crux of whatever the issue is or, or build strategy for a company, you're dealing with employees of every level of the company. And what I have found um, as a leader is that when you sort of include psychology in, in the thought process in, in terms of communicating with people and figuring out where underlying issues are, um, it has sped up our ability to fix these issues so much. When you're, and that's just being an empathetic leader, understanding that there is, there's stuff in the basement sometimes uh, when you look at a specific situation that is more than just what's on the surface. So I'm sure that's been super helpful for you as a leader.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll get into it when we talk about potential. But a lot of what we do is 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 uh, is really around creating that that psychologically safe environment. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes as leaders, we 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 get focused on our challenges um, and we don't necessarily realize that it's tough for that new employee or or, or that existing employee to come to us and raise their hand and, and, and make a suggestion or say, hey, I think, you know, what about this? Or, or say, I'm struggling a little bit, and I, I, I think I'd be more effective if, if we could do X and Y. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, creating that environment for, 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 for we, we work a lot with the neurodiverse community, as you said in the, in, in the intro. One of the things we find is that, is that creating that psychological safety, Google did a study on this recently, where they mm-hmm. talked about, it's far and away the number one predictor of team success is that ability to create psychological safety in your team where it's okay to, to disagree without being disagreeable it's okay to challenge the boss you know have, do, do your homework and make sure you have a, a well thought out argument but 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 challenge that's how we get better um and so that whole idea of psychological safety is just this is just absolutely massive um and it's something that i've um I, I did some of through my career, um, you know, in the ups and downs and the peaks and valleys of the career before I got to Potentia. Um, I didn't necessarily know that that was the term, that that was what I was doing, but I, I knew that that um, I knew that for me, growing up in that kind of stoic environment where you never admit anything that's a challenge, um, as I got into my career, I realized that that wasn't serving me that well, and 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 that. Um, in addition, if, if my if the people who worked for me or with me adopted that same posture, I'd really be kind of flying blind out there. I really yeah. wouldn't know what was going on because I hadn't created the environment where people could come to me and challenge me or come to me with a with a, you know uh, we've got a big project going on and, and it's not the right time to bring this up but uh, you know my elderly parent just moved into our house and and, and they're really sick. And so, that's going to affect, you know, probably how I show up. But I also need to ask for a little bit of flexibility because I need I need to take care of that person, right? But we have got this big project we're get looking to get done, right? You, 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 what we find is that the, the bigger the organization, the more they create this kind of institutional inertia, where it's like, well, we've thought about it, and this is our policy, or this is where we're going, and this is the big initiative of the day. And so the individual kind of gets lost in that. Um, and, and and they can get lost in the purpose of that and get excited about it. That's great, but if they get lost in it where they where they don't feel like they can come forward and 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 um, and talk about areas where they want you know are, are experiencing a challenge, want to be better, then you know you as a leader are 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 running around blindfolded. And, and yeah. I started to figure that out over time. Um, and then and then with with potential, just it just it just turbocharged that learning for me.
0: And, and it's funny that it does take that, you mentioned the peaks and valleys of the career, the ups and downs, it does take that time, that experience, that maturity that grows over time in order to, I don't wanna use the word master it, but you know what I mean, like it just, um, in order to be, to effectively um, uh, uh, use that, that type of process uh, in your organization to be that type of leader effectively, you have to learn, you have to make those mistakes. I always tell people that, look, I do what I do now, and and if people consider me a thought leader or a a business expert, a a turnaround specialist in businesses, great. But that came because I was the worst. I was the worst at the beginning. I may have been really good at what I did, uh, on a day-to-day basis, but managing and leading, oh my gosh, at the beginning of my career, I was horrible at it, and it's because of those mistakes and the mistakes of those around me that I learned how to be better, that I learned how not to be that person, and I could pinpoint when I did see somebody that was like me and making those mistakes and help them on the road to to fixing that. We do um, uh, th- this one thing, that, and, and it was interesting that you mentioned this situation with somebody you know, uh, an elderly parent that, that's sick and, and now moved in with them and it's affecting things. Uh, we do something uh, at my company called the Day One Initiative. And um, it's, and I'm not afraid to say, it's like the secret sauce of what we do. It is the secret sauce of what we do. Um, it is a conversation between, especially when we're dealing with employee related um, issues, right? Um, and it is a conversation between that employee and that manager, that C-suite person, whoever that is, right? Um, And the day one initiative is basically you hired her or him on day one and you wanted them here and you saw something in them that was so important to the benefit of this company that you made it happen to bring them here. And you, on day one, wanted to work for him because you saw something in this company, this opportunity, this job, So you were connected on day one and everything worked on day one and then it diverged. Why did it diverge? And usually it's, well, the expectations have changed and this isn't my job description or you know, this person's coming in late every day. But sometimes it's, sorry, my my mom got sick right after I started working here and she moved in and it has really affected my life in so many ways. And then it becomes, well, how can I support you in that so that you can... Be an effective employee here, and and not just an employee, but to make turn this into a career. and And these conversations often lead to these solutions that were so simple and just communications, and everything's fixed, you know. And and it, and it winds up becoming for us. Somebody might go like, "That was genius." How did you? F- I didn't do anything. <laughs> we we never. That's the secret of Launchpad Five One Six. We don't do anything. We just get people talking, and they figure it out, you know. So anyway. Um, my Go first ahead.
1: CEO uh, said um, every problem we have has, or, or maybe virtually, virtually every problem we have has a communication solution. Yeah. So I'm curious. So, so you mentioned, um, and and you and I are our uh, kindred spirits on this. You mentioned that your leadership at the beginning was maybe not the best. Um, was there an event, or was there something that, that 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 showed you that that you needed to pivot, and 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 if so, what was that?
0: Yeah, um, and I've talked about this on the show before, but um, I'm very honest about this. I got to a point in my career, and it was about 11 years ago that everything sort of hit the fan. I got to a point in my career where um, uh, I, I, I grew an ego that was just monstrous. I started figuring things out in terms of these successes, like the, the mistakes that were happening early. Um, I had mentors that really pushed me hard challenged me hard, (laughs) you know, sometimes, um, in, in a not so healthy way, but I appreciate it because they pushed me and they, and they helped me become so good at what I did. But I guess being in this ultra competitive environment and, um, uh, where, you know, the value was, was wealth and success and, and status and all these things. Once I kind of figured that stuff out and really started elevating, I grew to a point, I hit a mountaintop in my industry that I worked in originally and, the, the ego came along with all the money and success and everything like that. And honestly, just the shit hit the fan and it left me realizing that I was not a good human being in that very moment. I was the father of two little kids. I, um, it cost me a marriage. It cost me, It left me in almost career ruin um, at the time. And, um, and I just had to pick up the pieces and say, who, who are you? You know what I mean? I looked at that guy and I said, I I don't recognize you. And so um, at the same time is when the thing happened that I mentioned before with uh, meeting a young girl who who was diagnosed with cancer and um, wound up banding together with some amazing people and we started a nonprofit organization. And I don't know, these things just sort of led me to a place where I said, okay, I think having this experience um, happening now during this really difficult time in my life is probably a good thing so let me focus on figuring out who George is for real not not the status and the wealth and any of that stuff let me let me focus on figuring out who he is let me focus on my two little kids I'm divorced now I don't want to be a divorced dad I just want to be a dad Um, and figuring that out organically without the outside influence was really important to me and then you know, and then my entrepreneurial brain kicked in and I started my company. And when I finally got back to the place where I had the resources, um, uh, you know, and, and I had become the leader that I had always dreamed of being. Um, I wanted to do good with my company. So we had more of a benevolent mission than, than a mission that was based on just you know accumulating wealth. We wanted to help. We, our mission was always to uh, provide individuals and organizations with the tools and resources to thrive and succeed. Um, and everything we do, every add-on service, anything we do is based around that mission and has been for 10 years now. Uh, so that, that moment for me, that rock bottom moment was what taught me, nope, I can't continue like this. Um, and I, I said this line one time, uh, and then I want to move back to you because I don't even know why I'm talking about myself here. I appreciate the question though. I said this line um, at a very um, emotional and pivotal um, uh, award that I received uh, a few years back. I was inducted into the Hall of Fame of my high school for my accomplishments you know, in, in business and nonprofit and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really speaking to the students when I gave the, the acceptance speech. And I said, um, for the first 30 years, 30 or so years of my life, I was a uh, something like a, a a less than productive citizen of this planet. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life making up for that time and actually feel like I deserve this honor that I'm getting right now. Um, and that's kind of been the theme, you know, since then, you know. Wow. Yeah. That's so, awesome. I appreciate the question, though. Um, I want to no, before I, we move on. Go ahead.
1: Happen. Uh, it, it, uh, and then I'll shut up. And let you ask the question. <laughs> um, it's interesting how many people I talk to that are successful in the in in the sort of outward sense, and yet they find their passion. They find, but they find it through disillusionment and suffering. Yeah. Right. It's 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 those low moments, and I have similar experience. You know where where where. Um, you know, you learn through, through struggle and, and, you know, when everything's going great and everybody's patting you on the back and, you know, that's, that's an ego play. Right. But, but when, when, when think, you know, when, when you go through those struggles, to me, that's that's, that's where the juice is, right. That's where the real opportunity is to figure out, okay, you know, uh, I'm here. Um, what, 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 what do I do now? Yeah. And so, so for me, so for me, it was actually, um, so I I, um, I I'd sort of moved on into the into the um, I've been in the staffing world for a while. I, I left it. I went into more of a consulting role, which I liked. Um, we were running big implementations for people, and the staffing space is interesting because, um, <clears throat> you know, when we close a sale, someone gets a job, and so you would think it would be kind of this high energy thing. It's actually really kind of cutthroat and competitive, and customers kind of commoditize you and they're, they, you know, the managers are too busy to talk to you and submit resumes through this portal. And, you know, we, we, you know, we'll, the junior recruiter will reach out to you if we're interested. Thank you very much. And you're really kind of. Um, and so I had a lot of success with that, but it was it was leaving me feeling like, um, uh, you know, unfulfilled in some way. Right. I, and so then I went into consulting where we had more direct engagement with the customers. And I liked that a lot more. And I felt like I was providing more value and we were able to connect with leaders and say, what are you really trying to achieve here? Uh, I didn't think I'd go back into staffing, but I, I did, because um, I got recruited to run the, the global staffing company yep. that, that we met earlier. So it was it was a goal that I'd had for a while to have that corner office. And, and I thought, well, I'll be happy and fulfilled when I get there. Yep. And it was not the case. Yep. Right. And so the things that I had experienced and and, uh, you know, sort of the politics and different people's agendas and, you know, customer stuff. And, uh, you know, I I thought, well, surely when I get to this place, you know, that'll go go away. Well, I was still reporting to a board of directors. There was at least as much politics there as there was on, on my local sales floor. And so I, I, I thought, huh, this is, this is interesting. I, I've gotten here and it's sort of like, is this all there is, you know? Um, there are a lot of great things about it, but there was a gnawing feeling like I, I, was, I was sort of destined to do more. Um, right around that time, so we moved to Houston, I'm in that role for, for a bit. Um, my mom um, had actually gotten her mental health issues um, sorted out in a, in a pretty wow. good way and she was doing pretty well mentally. Unfortunately, then physically things started to to, to come about. She actually uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and lived with Parkinson's for about ten years. And the end, the end, when you have Parkinson's is really rough. Um, and so it, it was a, it was very bittersweet. It was you know when she passed. It was it was she was at peace. and She wasn't suffering anymore. Um, but we missed her. And it was you know you only have one mom. And, yeah. and so I was I was actually up at the funeral with Charlie with my son. And, and, and Charlie was a, was a, you know, early teen and, um, autistic, as you'd mentioned. Um, and so, you know, he'd been, we'd figure out a a mode with him that had been going pretty well, kind of year to year with school. And, um, you know, how can we help Charlie be as best as a sixth grader or seventh grader? Right. And, And that was going fairly well, I would say, you know, we, 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 we were very intentional about it. Um, but now I'm watching him as, as an early teen, and I'm, and, and I'm aware of, of his strengths, but also his challenges. And with autism, a lot of it is communication. Some people think that empathy is, is an issue. I don't find that to be the case at all. I just find that the way, pe- the way autistic people will express their empathy may be a little different. Um, and, and just reading cues and things like that, you know, sometimes there can be some challenges, some sensory challenges, some other things. Um, None of which stopped them from being wonderful at employment, at at the jobs they do, which we can get to. But anyway, so this is my son, and I'm watching him across the room at the funeral comforting my dad. And just being very attuned and very emotionally intelligent. And it was at that moment that I realized I've I've got a young man on my hands. I mean, and, and parents can hopefully relate to this, right? It happens quick. Number one, you know, I'm six foot seven, he's almost looking me in the eye. So that was my first clue. The second clue is uh, I'm watching my autistic son comforting my dad and I'm, I'm thinking, wow. And I know that was the moment, that moment that, that started me on the journey to potential because, um, and if I'm honest, I think part of it was the, the you know I was ready for something bigger and, 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 and to be of service in a more profound way. I just didn't know what it was, even though it was staring you right in the face. Because I'd gotten to this role, and I, and I still had a little bit of like, huh, okay. Thought this would be more, you know, more profound or more something, right? And it's kind of the same thing, just, just with a with a with a you know loftier title. And at that point, I realized, okay, you know, we've got, done pretty good in this year-to-year thing with Charlie, but what about when he's 25 or 35, right? What's his What's his life going to be like as an adult? And I had to admit I didn't really have as clear a picture as I needed to. Um, so I didn't know at the time, but that started me on a research project purely as a dad, just to figure out the things that I was supporting him with and helping him with. And he's the one doing all the work, but I'm just trying to be supportive where I can. Um, I needed to, I needed to deep dive. I needed to learn a lot more about what adult autism looked like and how I could help him to be his best self as a 25, 26 year old, or 36 year old, or beyond. So I started doing a whole bunch of research on this. Um, and, and I, I, um, I learned uh, a couple of things that really blew me away. Number one, I learned, so autism fits into this broader neurodiversity conversation, right? So there's autism, uh, ADHD, OCD, dyslexia. These are the most common differences that, that, that fit into that um, neurodiversity category. And there are others. But neurodiversity, as, as we just defined it, represents at least 25% of the adult population. Yep. So at least one in four folks is walking around, as we say, as, as we've been taught, basically with a different operating system. It's not better, it's not worse, but they're going to communicate a little differently, see the world a little bit differently, may interact a little differently, may respond to stimuli a little bit differently. Um, but, um, you know, they're also you know, incredibly capable, like my son, and I know he's going to go on and do great things. So that was the first thing that I learned. And I, and I, I talked to people around the world. I, I was fortunate I had a lot of business contacts and it just sort of uh, evolved. The second stat that I learned that really bothered me was, okay, so within the neurodiversity community, if you're autistic, like Charlie, and you've got you know, a lot of capabilities, you've got some challenges, and let's say you go to a four-year school, right? Let's say you go to NYU, Mm-hmm. Up, up, up by you, right, and, and and you know, get a nice GPA, graduate, probably much better GPA than I had, which wouldn't be tough. Um, and uh, but and you graduate, right, and maybe you graduate with a with a high demand skill in engineering or STEM or or you know, what have you, right, computer science, cybersecurity. Uh, you're still looking at an eighty percent unemployment rate if you're neurodiverse, with a four year degree, with skills that everybody needs. And it just points to the fact that, that our, our, our hiring process is broken for 25% of the population. Um, and then the third piece that I looked at, so there's the 25%, there was the 80%. And then I said, well, is anybody doing anything about this? Like, this is, this is really you know troubling. I learned about some companies that were doing neurodiversity hiring programs. They were going out and intentionally hiring people who are neurodiverse. And the programs were fantastic. They were, they were incredibly impactful. All the ROI stats on new skill acquisition and retention. The average neurodiversity hiring program has a 96% retention rate, just to give you an idea. That's average. So if you're working in a business where you've got 20%, you can drop that to four. I mean, the program pays for itself many times over just on that stat. But these candidates are also more productive than their peers with similar experience. They pick up new skills faster. They're more innovative. So you've got basically what could be the ideal employee, but someone who doesn't interview well in the traditional sense. Um, but I said this is the business case I'm hearing from these few companies that are doing this is really off the chart. And I I, I asked to to my counterparts, you know, the people who are leading these programs at Microsoft, and J.P. Morgan Chase, and you know, big companies. Yeah. I said I said, well, how many how many companies are doing this of you know, Fortune 500? And what I could it was maybe one to two percent of the fortune 500 was doing anything about this in 2019 when we started. And so I thought, okay, I care deeply about this. There's a huge, there's a really strong business case here. I've found something that I'm really passionate about. And I liked what I did before, but but not, you know, the, the, of the level of commitment to this is, is just orders of magnitude different. Uh, Cause it's personal for me, right? Um, and so that was really the thing that led me to say, okay, um, you know, we've got to carry this really wonderful message, not just from a from a from it's it's a head and heart message, yep. right? I mean, we know we know we're doing something, we're doing the, the right thing, and people resonate with that. But but from a ROI standpoint, this is off the charts, right? I, we, we've got to take this to other companies and 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 spread the word because this is just too good to 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 to, to be at one to two percent of the Fortune 500. So that was really the research project that I started with Charlie. That led me to then go to Samantha, my wife and say, I think I need to leave the corner office, uh, and, and, and do a startup. And this is the one I want to do. And nobody's really doing it, but I, I just believe in it so much. So really the stars of the show are Charlie and Samantha, because, because Samantha was like, yeah, I can see how passionate you are about this. You need to do this. Go do it. Yeah. And of course it was Charlie at the beginning that lit the spark.
0: That's amazing. And now a word from our sponsors. Well, that's a nice song hey hey everybody it's me the launch dad himself george Andriopoulos, the host of the Launchcast, the co-host of over my dad podcast but more importantly i'm here today on behalf of launchpad 516 studios the podcast production company that makes those two shows the one you're listening to now and so many others possible now What is Launchpad 516 Studios? Well, it's the brainchild of Launchpad 516. It's a podcast production company, and we help you from conceptualization to production, to recording, to post-production, to monetization. The key word here, let's turn that hobby, that idea into a revenue stream. But more importantly, let's get that important idea out there and get your voice heard, because that's what matters right now. Hit us up, launchpad516studios.com to find out more information or send us an email, podcast at lp516.com. DM me at launchpadceo on all the platforms. Let's chat. Let's get your voice heard. We're pretty good at this, guys. Don't let this offer slip by you. Later, guys. This is John and Mark Cronin from
1: John's John's Crazy Socks. Socks.
0: And we're interrupting to say, we hope you're enjoying this episode, but please make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. I'm glad we went down this road. So uh, first thing I want to say is um, uh, moving into this role with you, I, I want people to understand um, what you had accomplished uh, in, in business uh going into Potentia. So prior to founding Potentia, uh, Jeff was president of a global workforce services firm delivering record profits while closing four acquisitions in less than 18 months. Earlier in his career, he was division president for a healthcare consultancy, blah, 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 the list goes on and on. Um, So the the importance of saying that is that um, this move this, this spark moment, and that's, that's a term we use on the show, the spark moment, that moment that led you down a very specific path in life, good, bad, or indifferent, um, was so important that you literally uprooted your entire career to say, nope, this is the line now. I'm going to move into more purpose-driven stuff, um, uh, socially conscious work, and it was more just, uh, it was a heart decision for you, but coming from the background that you come from I know that you obviously built a business that works and that is solvent and that helps people and 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 provides opportunities for, uh, of course, the neurodiverse individuals that you are uh, uh, finding placement for, but of course your team uh, as well. So I, w- I just want to read the mission from the Potentia website to our audience here. Uh, Potentia: Our mission is to help organizations to be their best by leveraging neurodiverse talent through our STARS program, optimizing performance and culture through Empower, and leveraging innovative tech and analytics talent to deliver projects. Uh, We do this in order to provide career opportunities for neurodiverse individuals. At Potentia, we don't just train companies on how to be neurodiverse competent. We hire our own primarily neurodiverse teams to manage and deliver our services. We're for the neurodiverse by the neurodiverse. So um, first of all, that that last line is so important to me, especially today. We have learned that it's like you said at the beginning of the career right to uh, in terms of your leadership uh, uh and doing something
1: more
0: more than just you you tried your best right we all try our best until we fully understand um but in today's world and and, and that not just the climate that we live in but the fact that we are more knowledgeable now more uh uh empathetic um uh, uh about the the people that we serve um and there's just more information at our fingertips, we understand that representation in every facet of the word is so key. And so when you say neurodiverse by the neurodiverse, that is super important uh, to me. So talk to me about that and what the importance was to make sure that your team um, uh, included a, a good population of neurodiverse individuals as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, we, we, we've we got to practice what we preach, right? So. For us if we're talking to employers you know number one we, we, we need to be as you mentioned we need to be successful and sustainable to do the things that we want to do there are things that we do that are never going to make us a nickel but they're just part of the mission and that's great uh, but we've got to make sure that we're we're successful in the revenue generating activities right we are we are a social enterprise but we're also a for-profit. When I was looking at it, I, I talked to a lot of people about this and I talked to a lot of people who run nonprofits and they encouraged me to to do a for profit in this case. Um, and I think part of it was that, you know, they knew that I didn't have any experience running a nonprofit. So that was probably a good a, a smart move. But also the message that we're delivering to our customers is that you should do this. Yeah, it's the right thing to do, but it's going to be good for your business. It's going to make your business more successful, more profitable, um, more competitive. You're going to have more engagement from your from your your customers. You can you can engage with your partners and vendors on this on a, on more a core values level, which a number of companies are doing. Um, so that there was a lot there. I just I just felt like um, you know yeah. For me, it was a it was it was a it was a mission that just just once I got once I got a hold of me, it, it wouldn't let me go, and I just felt compelled to do it. I just felt like, um, it was, it was something that I, that I, that I just, I just had to do. Um, and it's, it's, it's an absolute privilege to, to get to do what we do every day for sure. Uh, I want to,
0: I want to put out that, that, that I very much understand that the, the feeling of being, um, not just compensated, right? Like that, cause that's what we did at the beginning of our careers, but fulfilled every day, so much better than being compensated. Uh, uh, trust me when I say that. Uh, I want to um, uh, refer back to something you just said and and uh, a statistic that you gave earlier that 80% of the neurodiverse population is unemployed. Um, One of our good friends of the show here, Mark Cronin, Uh, Mark and John Cronin own a a social enterprise called John's Crazy Socks, incredible company. They do a podcast with my production company, uh, the Spreading Happiness podcast. They've done a TEDx talk on my stage. Um, Mark, they actually did, uh, after the TEDx talk they did with me, did another TEDx talk called uh, Hiring Individuals with Disabilities is Good Business. And I think the original title was something like it's not just—I um, forget the word he used—but it's, it's not just the right thing to do. Let's say, it's good business. Um, Mark, you know, being uh, one of the co-founders of John's Crazy Socks, he and I have had a lot of—we we love talking shop. Um, he and I have had a lot of business conversations. And when the Great Resignation was happening, you know, during the pandemic and and things were just really shifting, and people were having a really tough time staffing businesses. You know, he and I talked, and he goes, "I don't, I don't understand why people are having such <laughs> such a hard time. Like we're, we are fully staffed. We have no shortage of employees that we need, and it's because they they are. You know, they, their terminology is they they're uh, employing people uh, with differing abilities. Um, and so, you know, the level of employees that you're dealing with, um, it, we have to be honest with ourselves that there are." different levels, different uh, uh, different abilities here. Um, and there are agencies um, out there, human services agencies that do help with uh, um, uh, training and education and uh, uh, vocational uh, training for, um, uh, for individuals on the spectrum um, at different levels. But why this is so important to me is, and I think you and I had this conversation was, when I see organizations like that, I think it's amazing. But my thought process is, and of course, we're going to put ability aside here because I do understand that sometimes uh, abilities do affect this. My thing is, why why can't that person be a C-suite executive? You know, why can't that person own? Why does there have to be a ceiling here? And so I love seeing what Potentia does um, uh, with staffing, with trying to change that number of the 80% un- uh, unemployment rate. Uh, I think you and I had talked about this, but talk to us about what the average salary is of people that are coming out of this, uh, uh, this program with you.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, a, a couple of points I want to make, and I want to circle back to the representation point, cause I, 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 there was, there was more I wanted to say. On oh yeah, yeah. Such a good point. Um, I think representation falls into the it's the right thing to do and it's also just the smart thing to do as well so uh the stars program for us if if i can give you a little bit of overview on that right so stars is spectrum training recruitment and support most of our training is for the employers because the employers number one know that they're not succeeding in this area they want to succeed in this area and they're the ones that need to tweak what they're doing right they're the ones who need to be more inclusive in terms of what they're doing we're not looking to to, to um, you know cure someone who's autistic because in my experience they don't want to be cured. It's part of their it's part of their identity. It's part it's like being left handed or being gay or you know whatever, right? It's part of who you are. Yep. Um, now it can come with a lot of challenges, and as you said, the spectrum is really huge. If you look at autism, just you know you have people who are nonverbal who need around the clock care, right? And then you have Richard Branson and Elon Musk right they're all on the spectrum so so there's incredible diversity within that um but and i think for us with stars the, the first piece of it is training all of our training is ndlet meaning all of our training is delivered by people who are neurodistinct themselves and so because a lot of the the exercise that we're going through here is a change management exercise we're dealing yeah. with companies that have well-worn practices and we've always done it this way jeff why do i need to do it differently and I could give him the answer to that question, or I could have someone who is neurodistinct themselves give that answer to the manager and say, listen, I'm sure that job description has worked fine for you in the past. I'm just telling you that for me as a neurodistinct individual, I would not apply to that job as it's written, and here's why, right? And that really carries the day. That really brings it a whole different level when you're talking with someone and by the way, our trainers are fantastic, and they'll say, "By the way, ask me anything you want to ask me. You can't offend me. You know, if there's anything you want to know, do you think it's a dumb question, right? Because we need to get them educated. Because the the concept neurodiversity has existed forever, right? It's part of the it's part of the the like biodiversity. It's just part of the 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 the, the, the you know different ways that that, that people develop. Um, but the term was only coined in 1998. It's a relatively recent term, and a lot of people are still you know coming to grips with it um the medical model is a big is a big part of that where where these things were diagnosed and if you think about how the medical model works you diagnose something and then you try and fix it you try and cure it right and so if you're diagnosing someone with with autism you know okay but they 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 that's part of their identity number one you're not going to change it but but number two they don't want you to change it they just want their lives to be a little easier and they want the world to be a little bit more accommodating to their differences is, is by and large, the experience that, that I see. So, so that representation piece is really key, that, yeah. that you know, the ND-led piece is really key. In terms of, in terms of um, the, the type of work that we do and the average salaries, our average salary, starting salary last year was 76K. Uh, this year, it'll be about 81K. Amazing. And that's intentional because we looked at it, when I looked at the landscape, I saw a lot of people doing a lot of really good work in nonprofits and state agencies and and, and and other organizations, but principally it was it was about getting candidates from their parents' couch to a job, which is a really important piece, right? And and so it might be flipping burgers or bagging groceries or what have you. But just just get some experience, you know, get some experience being, um, uh, you know. Responsible, and, and you got to be there on time, and you got to listen to your boss, and you got to deal with some challenging people, and that's incredibly valuable. And for a lot of people, that's a great job for them, and they may have that job for 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 years and years. Sure. Wonderful. For a lot of our candidates, that's a stepping stone job, right? That's an incredibly important job, but but they've got a degree in engineering, and they've got um, they've got student loans, and they 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 want to be able to play. These are highly intelligent people. Who again, because they may communicate a bit differently or have some sensory issues, uh, struggle in the traditional interview sense. So they end up getting into these sort of low-hanging fruit jobs, um, and um, and and again, that's great. But for a lot of our guys, it's not great if they stop there, right? They're making yep. seventeen bucks an hour, nineteen bucks an hour. We can get them into a program where they're making seventy-six k or eighty-one k, and it's life-changing. We had a guy who was who was. Um, unemployed, underemployed for about two years, got into our program. He's now in a leadership track with a Fortune 100 company, and he just bought his first house. Like, that's that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah. I mean, to, to have stories like that and to have that have that happen. Um, and so for us, as a, as a um, you know, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, who may be listening to this. For us, it was important because the problem is so big. That the biggest thing for us was to learn what to say, either no or not yet to, right? We had to pick our lane, and so our lane has become because we didn't see anybody else really doing it. Uh, those white collar roles, uh, you know, accountants, engineers, uh, you know, bookkeepers, IT workers, right? Folks that you know would generally work in an office, although the, a lot of our people work remotely now, but office type work, right? Yep. Um, and 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 making the kind of money they can make and 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 actually having a career. And so that's the niche that we're really looking to play with 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 stars. Um we can talk a little bit more about empower too at, at some point maybe that's that's the other offering that we that we've got because Go in this climate what we're finding is that stars works great when you, when you're in hiring mode, right? And, and a typical conversation with us might be Boy, we love what you guys are doing. We want to engage in it. We understand. We think it's really. Where should we start? We typically start with a pilot somewhere, so we can learn how to do neurodiversity in their environment, and then we can expand it. Yeah, right? we can. But but learn learn while we while we're you know while we're doing what we do, um, and so that's typically where that where that where that starts, and then it can expand from there. Um, but some of these companies, if, if, and the company might say, hey, got, we've got this division, they're hiring 25 people next year, we've got a bunch of turnover. And we'll say, we'll set aside five or seven roles for us for the STARS program. We'll train your managers, we'll teach you how to do it, we'll, we'll develop a set of best practices with you, we'll measure all the outcomes to make sure it's working well. And then at the end of the day, you'll have, you'll have people you wouldn't have otherwise found, and you'll have, you know, you have all these real tangible, tangible benefits. We had a customer who came to us and said, well, we'd love to do another STARS program with you maybe next summer, what can we do in the interim? Because we know we've got lots of, and this is how the the, the, the market has changed as, as our customers become more educated. We know we've got current employees who are neurodistinct, who do not disclose in, in, in mass, right? If it's 25% of the population, we know that we've got people who are in these roles, maybe you've been with us for a decade, right? And, and to some extent are probably struggling a little bit because there are, th- there are things they might ask for or, or accommodations or th- things that might help them be more successful, but they, they don't feel like they can ask for those things because they don't, they don't feel safe. Um, and they're worried about the stigma of coming forward and saying, hey, I'm dyslexic, or hey, I've, I've got Asperger's or what, what have you. Um, and so, you know, that's a really powerful thing. And so what, what, what we look at there is we say, okay, if you're not doing that big hiring program, you've still got these employees who are not as engaged, not as productive, lower retention than they might otherwise be. And especially if we're heading into a, a, a tighter, a, a, a slower uh, labor market where companies need to make more, you know, make them the, even more important that they make the most out of the, with the workers that they have sure. now. And power is that idea of taking the concepts of neurodiversity but applying them to your current workforce, right? Do we do leadership training? Do we do help you with inclusive interviewing or onboarding or men- set up a mentorship program, creating a, a resource group for individuals or parents of neurodiverse people? You know, just how do you how do you meet, you know, meet your workforce as um, uh, as people, as individuals? How do you train your leaders to practice that person-centered leadership with it with the neurodiversity? component being really strong in that but this should benefit everybody right if you have a good mentorship program it benefits everybody yeah. if you're good at onboarding it benefits everybody so so uh, you know where stars is is all about getting new talent into your organization and power is about how do we how do we through neurodiversity and through just creating more of a sense of belonging how do we unlock that potential for for engagement productivity retention with your current staff and so those are the, the, the two big offerings that uh, we're really focused on right
0: now. I love that. I love that. Uh, Jeff, I want to ask you real quick before we we start to wrap up and move on to, to the big three. Um, for, first question is, uh, uh, what's next for Potentia? Uh, as you continue to grow, as you continue to help this underserved population, uh, what's new and exciting? What's coming next?
1: Well, I, I think uh, so... Uh, this year we went international, which we're really excited about. So we started in 2019, and I really didn't know how this was going to go. Um, uh, our, our first customer was Chevron, so we're we're on it. It's a good start, right? Um, and then we expanded from there. Uh, in 2020, we went national. This year we went international. So we're doing programs now in Asia. We're doing programs in South America. We're looking at some things in Europe because it's a global problem, right? Every, every unfortunately every major city in the world has these um talented neurodiverse individuals who are largely unemployed or underemployed who who are who are kind of hiding in plain sight who are right there so uh you know we we want to be one of the players um and there will be others but we want to be one of the companies that's that's really bringing this message to uh corporations globally about not just is it the right thing to do but how strong the, the business case is for, for doing this. I mean, just, just at a real basic level, if, if, if 25% of the population is neurodiverse and company X is, um, is, is well-oriented to support and engage and get the most out of that population, and company Y is really not doing anything there, that's a huge competitive advantage for X over Y, right? Yeah. Just, just full stop. So, so we want to carry that message forward and just make sure that people understand that. Ultimately, the neurodiversity um, movement uh, and, and and the initiatives we're doing and the, it it should really just become part of your overall human capital strategy. So ultimately, we'll we'll you know we'll work ourselves out of jobs. Hopefully, when these companies just just um, you know not only start a program, but it just becomes part of what they do. O- of course, we you know practice N D friendly practices when we're going out on campuses and doing college recruiting cuz cuz it's part of it's 25% of the population. We do this with all of our human capital strategies. That's where we want to help these companies to get to and and enjoy the competitive advantages that they will have when they do.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um uh we'll move on to the big 3, but where can uh where can people find out about you if, if a company is looking to contract with Potentia? Uh how do they get to you?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Great question. Thank you. Uh, So potentialworkforce.com. Potential is like potential without the L. Uh, So potentialworkforce, all one word, .com. Uh, Or they can reach out to me uh, anytime. I I get wonderful uh, emails every day. That's just jeff.miller at potentialworkforce.com.
0: Great. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. We'll put a a little bit more information in the show notes. Uh, Let's move on to the big three the big 3 from the launch cast. You're listening to the launch cast produced by Launchpad 516 Studios with me, your host, the Launch Dad himself, George Andriopoulos. The big okay. 3. So, we're going to throw uh, I'm going to throw out a few questions at you, Jeff, you're going to give me your top 3 quick concise answers for these. Ready?
1: Uh, ready as I'm going to be.
0: All right, great. Um Three moments in your life. And I I love how I say quick, concise answers, but they're these super deep questions, so, uh, (laughs) sorry, uh, three moments in your life when your son, Charlie has taken you to school.
1: Oh my goodness. I love that question. Uh, I mean, certainly at at mom's funeral, without a doubt, that was, that was a big one for me. Um, gosh. There have been a thousand moments where he um, where he just reminds me to stay in the present um, one of his strengths is really just to just to deal with what is you know and he's not worried about what happened before and he's not worried about the next day he's really just about I, I want to have a great day today and um, he, he he pulls me back into that often um and so I think I that, think the, 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 yeah, the, the, that's a big one. He, he, he does that for me a, a, an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and then just, I, I think, um, you know, he's got really good about, about asking for what he needs. And, um, and my New England stoicism, you know, rears its ugly head every once in a while. And, and I'll just sort of hunker down. And, and and sometimes you gotta just hunker down, right? But you also need to be able to share with the people who care about you, you know what's going on and what you need. And and, and so he reminds me to do that, because um, he has no problem saying, hey, I, you know, I, I, I really could, you know, I, I, I really could. Could we do do this today instead of that, you know? Yeah. Or or I'm feeling I'm feeling this kind of way, you know. Maybe 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 we don't do that. Um, and so he he reminds me of, of of all that stuff. Just to just to you know live in the present, but don't be afraid to to you know ask the people uh, who love you for support.
0: Yeah, love that. Um, three biggest failures in your career.
1: Hmm. You know, it's a bit cliche. I I, I try not to look at them as failures because, like yeah. we said, that's that's where you learn. Right, uh, but but definitely, you know, early on in my career, uh, the vision that I had of a leader and trying to be that perfectionist, right, and, and not not letting any kind of humanity in to just you know, I, I was a very young manager, and, and I felt like I um, uh, I felt like I had to be perfect, and, and I couldn't have been more wrong, you know, and I, I ended up not really connecting with the people who worked for me, not creating an environment where they could tell me how they were living. Right. And I could be a better I could be a better leader in in that case. Um, Yeah, I I think that's that's certainly the biggest one for me. And that's one that I've I've, I've learned uh, and had to relearn over time. You know, you get busy and you get stressed and sometimes you revert to those old those old ways of being. Um, But I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's not about being perfect. Um, It's about um, it's about listening. Um, I, I think too, you know, for me, um, when I, when I, when I learned about, and I, I see that, and I caution people about this cause it happened to me when, when you study something like neurodiversity and autism, the natural tendency we all have is to say, oh, okay, now I know what that is. Yeah. So, 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 so George, you know, you're, you're autistic. That must mean that you feel this way. And if I manage you this way, you're going to respond this way.
0: Yeah,
1: no, not not even close. <laughs> right. Right. But but when you first learn this stuff, it's like a shiny penny and you, you, you or, or a new tool. And you want your it's like you do you're just gifted a hammer and everything looks like a nail, you know, and, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, the, the, the research and the knowledge that we do is really just it's an invitation to then ask more questions to the individual. Yeah. Right. To learn about them as an individual. And it might give me a little bit of perspective, but I'm not going to assume that just because anymore that, you know, you should assume, you know, um, uh, you know, because I'm six foot seven that I play basketball or that whatever. Right. You know, it's just that 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 shorthand assumption kind of game that we get into is is, is another big one, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and, and you got to you got to just you got to know that, you know, doing the homework and learning this stuff is great. We, we have a, a saying here, learn the lesson, lose the labels, right? So learn the lesson of, of, of autism generally and how that might affect individuals, but then lose that label and deal with, deal with, 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 with Bobby, right? <laughs> and, and, and where's Bobby at? What, what's he, because I can tell you managing a team that's, um, that is majority neurodistinct there's incredible variation among that team, right? And so I guess the last thing would be on that, would be, I used to think that you had to manage everybody the same. And now I realize that it's really just about managing everybody fairly.
0: I love that. I love that. Uh, last one, I'm going to ask you, and then, uh, uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, the top three things that an employer may not know about having a neurodiverse or neurodistinct, uh, neurodistinct, uh, employee. So I think,
1: Number one is is how many nerds think employees you already have, mm-hmm. um, and we're starting to see more of that. So uh, so, so just a, a, I'll make these quick, but just one of the really cool things about Stars. Every Stars program we do is different because every client is different. But one thing that's the same every time is the number of mid-career people who are at those companies who disclose, whether to us or their bosses or or HR or what have you as part of the company, as as part of the program that we're we're rolling out. Right. So they see the company being intentional about embracing neurodiversity. And they've been in the closet about their own neurodiversity, their own neuro, neurodistinctness, maybe for years. They've never told anybody. And now they start coming forward and telling their employees it's an incredibly powerful thing. So just being aware of that, approaching yep. that with humility and understanding that you've got a big population there that's that's um you know that's that's uh that's neurodistinct and you and then and then second it's uh, so acknowledge that then it's about creating the environment where folks can come forward if they want to so individuals own their disclosure they own their if it's a diagnosis or they own that right it's not up to anybody else to to talk about them or to right it's their choice and some people will will you know say you know what i'm just not comfortable right now that's totally their call but businesses owe it to themselves to create an environment where people can come forward if they want to. Yeah. Right. And and, and as a manager, as a leader, you know, if I know what the problem is, I, I, I at least got a shot at it. But if my, my people won't share with me because they don't feel like I've created the right environment, that's on me. And there's a tax I'm going to pay for that because, because my workers aren't as engaged, as, as forthright as, you know, they don't feel like they can be. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's a big one. Um, and then, like I said, it's, it's, it, you know, um, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask for outside help. Um, there's, 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 a uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, data on this. A lot of people are studying this concept now, since it's such a big, a big factor. Um, a lot of people are doing DEI work and, and the point that we make about that is neurodiversity is an incredible force multiplier, if you're interested in DEI. And the reason for that is because we talked about 25% of the adult population is, 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 um, is neurodistinct. Well, that means every, every group that you're seeking to work with better is 25% neurodiverse themselves. Yeah. So if you're trying to, um, if you've got an initiative where you're trying to hire more uh, vets more more returning vets right who are, who are looking to enter enter the the, the, the corporate world of the work world. Well just from PTSD alone right at least 25 percent of that population is is neurodistinct. so being a, uh, so getting fluent in what in what neurodiversity is and how it works is a force multiplier to help you with these other areas say you want to hire more women in, in your engineering um, department right great goal well 25 percent of those folks are neurodiverse. So any initiative that you have like that is going to be more effective, and, and it's going to be a force multiplier if you um, if you if you just embrace it and understand how how big this population is and how it intersects with all these other groups that are that are part of your workforce.
0: Amazing, amazing, Jeff! Thank you so much for joining today. I, I had a blast uh, talking to you. I love talking shop with you, man. It's great.
1: <laughs> oh, likewise, likewise. I, I got to do better when you when you say you know give me a give me a short answer to this. <laughs> I'm working on that.
0: I um, got to do better about asking less complicated questions. Th- these should be, I, I started uh, years ago with like, what's your favorite pizza place? And, you know, things. They- <laughs> right.
1: What's What's the meaning of life? Two, yeah. two sentences go. Two sentences go. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jeff, I appreciate it, man. I'm going to put you in the green room. And then uh, uh, after I wrap up, we'll say goodbye. Uh, I appreciate you being here. And I will put everything in the show notes so people can reach out to you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, George. Thanks,
0: Jeff. Hang on just a second. All right, guys, we did another one. What a great, what a great conversation that was. Um, we, we seem to we seem to this season uh, uh, be doing a lot of um, meaningful interviews. We've already done two uh, around the the topic of neurodiversity and uh, autism spectrum. Um, so uh, I'm loving the direction that we're going here. Uh, catch us again next week. I want to mention real quick something super super important to me. So you guys know I've been talking about the new Jam Speak, right? We have moved on from the TEDx platform. Uh, my, my my partners and I have launched uh, Speak, a global speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. We have our first pop up coming up on November 17th. So visit SpeakEvent.com for tickets to that. But we are looking for a couple of things. We are looking for event sponsors. Again, this is a global platform that will be going out uh, both on a heavily trafficked YouTube channel and an upcoming podcast that is we we are confident is going to be a very high traffic, Uh, uh, and highly rated podcast. Um, So stick around for details on that. But those sponsorships get organizations onto those and get them seen in a very, very, very big way. Uh, And so we would love support for our brand new organization as we build this global platform. We'll have news coming in a couple of weeks. We're working on a couple of our own self-produced events uh, that are going to be happening locally. But after the November 17th Speak Beginnings event, we are going to announce probably the first 10 to 15 um, speak pop-ups that are happening from outside producers and they are happening all over the world. I promise you that, uh, I can't even wait to share that news with you guys. So again, sponsors, we are looking for sponsors to, to help us sponsor this platform to keep growing. Of course, channel partners, producers, um, all of that. You can find all that information at speak dot uh, com. If you're interested in sponsorship, reach out to me, uh, and we'll send you that sponsor info. We don't have that on the website, but, um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining for another episode, another great deep dive leadership conversation. We'll see you next week. Launch sequence terminated.
1: Into the black hole. Into the black hole.
0: The LaunchCast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. Produced by Fabrizio Fugazi and executive produced by George Andriopoulos. Marketing and PR by Media Convergence. Theme song by Tommy Lungberg. Music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. The launchcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it, guys. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, the host at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or follow the show at The Launchcast Show on Facebook and Instagram, or at Launchcast Show on Twitter. Visit our website, thelaunchcast.com, and make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. We'll see you next time, guys.